Welcome to the Powering Real Estate Podcast, sessions with top real estate business leaders and their strategies for success. Learn from some of the best in the industry. Join Lee Adkins as he talks to industry leaders on how they built and maintain their real estate business. All right, I'm joined today by Mr. Brad Allen, the CEO of The Art of Real Estate and insurance. How are you today, Brad? I'm well, Lee. Thanks for uh, having me on the, the podcast. Good. Absolutely. Glad to uh, glad to get some time to talk with you a bit. Why don't you tell us a bit about the art of real estate uh, as a company, what you guys do, where you're located, and then maybe a little of your background getting there. Yeah, absolutely. So we're an independent boutique. Um, we cover most of South Carolina. We're pushing into North Carolina and Tennessee, possibly Georgia, um, but we're a small team-centric kind of company, uh, not hierarchical, but more of a real estate's a team sport. So we have a lot of the players that agents need to be successful. And we're starting to integrate some of the joint ventures like insurance and some other things to bring a more holistic approach to the buying and selling. Um, we are definitely not a uh, body shop type of company. We have about 30, 35 agents with about 15 employees. So that's pretty much us. We cover most of South Carolina, a little bit of North Carolina and Tennessee. Cool. What did you do before you either got into real estate or before you founded this brokerage? Man, I was straight out of college. Criminology degree, uh, thought I wanted to get into real estate to give it a try. And uh, yeah, here we are 16 years later. Nice. That's great. I, I, I love that. I think for a lot of people, it's a second and third career, but I'm really passionate about people who actually went into it on purpose early on with a focus on that. I think it's I think it's cool. Yeah. I mean, what, real real quick on that too, Lee, like it kind of served me some truth serum because I was, it was 2006. I was, you know, 22, 23, didn't have to have a lot of money. Uh, the recession actually helped me because it kicked out a lot of the the agents that weren't doing enough to survive in a bad market. So we only knew a bad market and clawed through it. But it showed me when I started our company that there's a lot of good agents that are in their 20s and our systems are not, our, our real estate system is not set up for them. Usually they have to go get another career at a bank and then jump back in. And by that time, they're making too much money, have a family and won't do it. So a lot of our company is based on processes and, and problem solving that to get good agents um, and younger in the business. That's killer. I love that. And I, I know that about you. And one of the things that strikes me a, a bit about you is that you are much more process driven and operations driven than a lot of people who are on the owner side. A lot of these people are hiring for that. But you're pretty you're pretty strong in that in general, I think. What what's your overall philosophy kind of on having processes and systems for the company? Yeah, I mean, my overall philosophy is people don't know what you want them to do until you show them, to you teach them, and then you have something for them to reference. Uh, so many times I've seen agents when I worked at previous companies or travel and talk to really well-known people. They have assistants, but they never taught their assistants how to do their job. So you can't just expect them to know it, right? That's not their role. So you've got to document it. You've got to reference it. And then you've got to reinforce it through systems and processes. So every, the client gets a good experience. That's great. And I know you guys are, are high touch with your agents. And I, I know I know your model a bit. I think, you know, to me, it's it seems like you guys are very high touch with your agents. Is that is that the... Is that how you are? hundred percent. Yeah. So we're not, um, 
I don't, I'm, nothing I say today is to knock any other company. There's enough room for everybody and everybody's got their own stick. And ours is, um, I want as few agents as possible doing as much business as possible. Um, and the way that we're set up with our team dynamic is I want them focused on what they're really good at. And that is meeting people, taking care of the client, processing the deals, you know, let us worry about the lock boxes and signs and all that. But before all that has to happen, you've got about five weeks of intensive training with us belly to belly. We've taken some to trainial now to kind of speed that up. But you will know that it's, it's like a parent when they talk to their kids, like when you leave the house, you're going to have clean underwear and you're going to eat your vegetables. Like if somebody leaves my company, their next brokers and go, damn, they know the contract. They know how the process works. And I will. Yes, right. that is how it has to happen. So very high touch. And, you know, I feel like leaders got to lead, managers got to manage, and we call ourselves a strong broker model, which means our broker's not there to placate and babysit. Our broker's there to lead, meaning you want some help on a listing appointment, they're going to go. If you need a buyer to, if you need to step in to show a buyer you're going on vacation for a closing, our broker's going to be there. And you're going to listen to your broker in charge because that's what they're paid to do. They've, they've made this climb up the mountain before. They're not some babysitters. So I just feel like we've gotten away as an industry from the broker's being the mentors and the leaders that they're legally responsible to be. And to be good agents, you need to have a good coach and a good person on staff. Yeah, that that's great. I, I love that. And let's talk just a little bit more. We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but about that onboarding process or about just the, the welcoming of people. And, and, and is that part of the recruiting, I assume? You're teeing that up before they even join? Yeah. So we typically go after unlicensed people. We look for good people, people. And that's why we're a small, slow growth strategy. Um, and some of our best agents weren't in real estate or even thought about real estate beforehand. Um, but even if they were, they all go through the same process. It's a five week, like I told you. Um, but their first day is the most important day, even if it's the most boring day. So we send them a survey ahead of time to figure out what carbonated drinks they like and desserts and this and that. And we want a basket on their desk when they show up. We want to start it off right. But then it's get to work. It is, you've got to hurry up and wait. You know, you got to get through the modules. You got to get through the contract in our forms. And then every week as a broker, we sit down with them at the end and every module has a test and it's not a pass fail test. I don't need to teach somebody buyer agency if they already know it. So if they got a hundred, we move on. If they've got a weak spot, then we can just drill down to those four issues in the buyer agency and not have to treat them like they're infants. So that's pretty much how it goes. And then the really cool part, and one of my previous employees came up with this, we call it a buyer folder test. And so we take them through the entire process where we sit down. I say, I want to live in this neighborhood. They show me the houses virtually. I pick one out of the three. They have to go physically preview it, come back, do comps. That's why I take a break from role-playing and I act like a broker and I do comps too. So we can look at why, how the pricing was different. And then they write the offer. They explain it to me. We do a mock inspections or whatever it is in your market. And it has really helped our agents' confidence because they get bits and pieces along the way as they're learning, but they haven't had a full end-to-end -end approach. And you'd be amazed at how much that confidence then translates into talking to listings and leads and buyers. Because now they're like, I know how to do this from start to finish. Yeah. And I think too many times people are of the philosophy or of the like, we just got to go. Like, come on, let's go. You'll learn this as you go. You know, what strikes me is the way you guys do that is that you're really setting them up to pay dividends, right? If you do that right in one shot, then they can go work and sell a bunch of houses. But if they're doing that on the fly, it could take 10 years to get all the things, you know? 
Yeah. And how much is it setting expectations? So you've got to know the process and a little bit of, I mean, you're not going to know every bit of it, but you can know the idiosyncrasies so you can talk your leads and clients through it as they have questions. And don't get me wrong, they have check-ins um, every month going forward and they have to shadow so many new agent, um, experienced agents with us and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's not get in the car, you're going to learn, get a notepad, you're going to learn something. Like that's BS. You're not going to learn that way. You might learn once a special deal, but you're not going to learn the process. Right. Yeah, that, that's really great. And and what how how do you come up with the processes? Like, do you lean more on staff? Is that kind of your natural thing? Like, to me, it's funny, like you say, like, we have a, you know, intensive five day thing. I think a lot of people will be like, Oh, my goodness, how am I going to come up with that? So like, what's do you lean on staff? Is that you? How does that happen? That's me. Um, I feel like, and I can't do everything. But I feel like as team manager back in the day, then, you know, broker in charge, which I'm still a broker in charge in some offices. That's, that's my job. That is my role is to see how the process works. Uh, and, you know, I kind of lead by example. So I, I kind of, we kind of go through that and I learn, Hey, that didn't work too well with Sally this time. We should probably put that in there, but I'm not trying for perfection either. I think that's where a lot of people get overwhelmed. I think it's baby steps. What do they need to know? Write it down, work it out. It is time intensive but I'm also making money off of these people. So you can't argue that this doesn't have the time for it and you can't hire it. I'm sorry. You just can't hire that part out unless you hire somebody that's going to cost you a lot of money. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And I said five days, I'm in five weeks. Apologies for that. No worries. worries. Five days would be, be (laughs) yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, totally. No, that, that, that sounds great. And I, I love that for you. And I think, you know, taking that responsibility, something I say to people all the time is, you know, well, if you own the company, it's all your fault. You know, like it doesn't, whatever it is, it's ultimately your responsibility is obviously a nicer way to say that. Now, are you still, are you still in production at all? No, I've been out when we opened our company in 2013 ish, uh, my partners and I decided we didn't want to have competing brokers. And that's still a big pillar to our company. So I backed out of production, which is scary, but possible. And, um, I have a broker in charge for two of my offices. She doesn't compete either. Um, and my business partner that owns the company with me, 50-50, she does still sell. Uh, but it's not a hierarchical where she gets leads and stuff like that. She just crushes life and is super awesome. So no, she uh, she sells. I don't. Nice. But I did. Before COVID, I was doing about 220 listing appointments a year on average with our agents uh, to help them get business. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I, think enough, I, I realize how hard it is to make that leap. Funny enough, a lot of my guests are actually out of production um, people, and I love digging a little more into, you know, what did that look like? How did you make that leap? Because I get how scary it is. I mean, I've been out for ten or eleven years now too, but at some point you got to make the make the jump, or otherwise you're you're not gonna you'll never you'll never do it if you don't just do it. So well, and I think that turns into another systematic process. And I talked to a lot of a lot of friends, us obviously being Inman ambassadors uh, last couple of years, and just knowing a lot of good people. People start companies because they think they're going to make more money. And uh, I've been told that you don't. And I, I believe that now. But like, why do people want to start companies? Like, what, what niche are you trying to fill? There are so many companies out there that have different ways of doing business. Why take that leap? And here's the follow-up question. The only way I find a lot of these solo entrepreneur broker company owners competing is through splits of commission. I'm not saying we have super low commission. We actually have pretty high commissions, but you can't give somebody 90, 10 and be out, try and get yourself out of production. 
But I also believe that that 10% better equal the support that you're getting from your company. Likewise, if you're 50-50, you better get 50% or more value from the company. So a lot of people do this. They, they set themselves up for failure so they can't get out of production because they go, well, I'm gonna, I have to compete against the other companies and give them so much split. Well, then you're going to be selling the rest of your life and there's no point in opening your company. You might as well keep your ass at the big box and sell houses and run a team. So yeah. I just caution people on yeah. that. They, you need to pay people for what they're worth and what they do. And I agree with that, but man, you, you, you gotta, you gotta make it right. Yeah, I, I agree with that a, a, a lot. And I think it's probably the hardest thing that I see people go through. Cause obviously people typically go through the thing where they're a good agent and then somebody says, you should start a team. And then somebody says, you should be your own brokerage. Somebody, I say somebody, usually it's somebody who doesn't even know your business. They're like, oh, right. Should be a brokerage because that's the next thing. Quite frankly, some of my successful successful people I've worked with, the conversation has been, "Hey, forget all this stuff. Go sell some houses. Right? You'll keep more money. Why are you doing? You know." But it's funny because somebody like you, though, strikes me a lot more as somebody who is equipped to run a business. I think it's also interesting having having a partner because you know, I don't think we talk about this enough either. Not enough people get a partner either intentionally or even stumble into it. Back when I was in an operational role, I was on a team that had two owners and it was fantastic. They were still in production because they hired me to run the right. company. So yeah, bit of a different thing, but there was a plan. And so can you talk just a little bit about the partner aspect that, you know, nothing super secret, but just kind of how did that happen? Yeah. And No, she's horrible. You shouldn't have one. No. Um, so I think that, of some people rush into partnerships as a safety net, right? We're going to start a team, Lee, you and I are going to start it because we're going to split cost. But it's usually disproportionate to who's bringing the business or who's doing the work. And so one, you've got to go into a partnership with somebody uh, that you either know, like, and trust, or you're going to have to learn to know, like, and trust them. And that's a process. <laughs> I'm married, I've been married for a long time. Um, and this is a whole other like relationship that I have to work through. Like we had a partner meeting today. Like I have all the PLs, I go through it all. Um, and we have to make joint discussions on how things work. So you better be sure that you're willing to do that. The other thing I'll say about partnerships is they're not the best. Like I think like the, the company you were with earlier, Lee, they brought somebody on that is a process and problem solving person like yourself because they weren't and they wanted to stay in production. Don't rely on one partner to do that and the other one not because the one that produces the money thinks that they bring home the check. And it's like, but I'm supporting you to do that. So I would encourage everybody not right. to do partnerships as much as part possible. Definitely not do family, nothing like that. If you can swing it on your own, so be it. And then bring on somebody that um, you pay to compliment you. So my business partner, she is all rainbow sunshines, loves kids, shaking hands, kissing babies, and will also negotiate you to death. I'm not, I'm a people person. I can turn it on, right? I'm like, I'm a reserved extrovert, but I would rather be here 10 hours a day working on flow charts and the ph philosophical differences of real estate than having to go out there and show houses. And she loves it. So there, we, we, we compliment each other that way. And we have a, we have a pretty good respect for that, but it, don't do a partnership because it's a safety net. It's a liability. I've lost, I've had to part ways with one of our partners and it's, expensive. It's nasty. Uh, nobody's happy at the end. Um, and there's lots of kids in the divorce. So I just caution people to not do that as a safety net. Yeah. 
No, that, that makes perfect sense. But I think I, the idea I wanted to tee up is just the idea of being open to that when it's either the right person or if somebody grows into that. Yep. But to your point, I mean, a fixed cost, a salary is always going to be better than a, you know, a, so hiring for an operations or staff or whatnot. Yeah. And I, I kind of believe real estate should work a little bit like a law office where, you know, you, you get in, you pay your dues and eventually you should become partnership, right? Like why would you work 30 years for a company when you're, when you're doing sales, when there's already a model like a, a, a law office or a doctor's office. So I think bringing people on with the offer later of maybe having some buy-in, some minority shares and some stuff like that, where you can really kind of golden handcuff your top producers that you like without offering yeah. it up front. Oftentimes us in real estate want to offer it right out the gate and we don't know if they're actually going to perform or do what they need to do. Right. Yeah. And speaking of, so are, are all your agents kind of at the same level? Do you have agents that mentor other agents? Like what does your agent structure look like? Yeah. So other than being their first year, right? So we have minimums in our company. Um, our minimums are not because okay. we want to just be these rock star badasses. Actually, we do. That's why we have minimums. Excuse me. <laughs> Scratch that. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> we have minimums because we we only bring on full-time agents that are solely focused on real estate. And if you're worried about where your next mortgage payment is coming from because you're selling four houses a year, my I question your intentions on giving a good client experience. Um, so all that to be said, you come in with us at a certain level, but after that you bump up to our normal split. It's a one split company because we have photographers and videographers, all those people on staff to provide that support. And I don't charge my agents for it. The only thing they pay for is splits. So if they list the house and doesn't sell, I'm not asking them for a check back for that photographer to go out there in my car and my gas and my gear to shoot your house. But if they're doing our minimums and working full time in real estate and they're good people and they've been trained by us, we're all a team working to the same common thing. Why should I nickel and dime them over every black and white color copy? Like, what the hell? Like, we're in this together in my company. So all that to be said, no, we don't have an hierarchical stream of like you get to this point. But I do ask my older agents to allow the newer agents to shadow them. So we all share Google calendars. And so we'll explain to them how our buyer book works and we'll teach them how to do it. But then I want them to sit in with three buyer appointments in the first 90 days to hear, I'm, I'm from the restaurants back in high school and college, how that spiel was said and how this spiel was said. And they take little tidbits and make their own spiel and it feels organic and nice. I don't necessarily pay the agents to do that. But, you know, if my agents do over $5 million, uh, we're this next year, actually in March, I'm taking them to Mexico, all expenses paid for a week. If they do over $5 million, and they can bring their spouse and, of course, or their significant other, and they can pay for them. But um, just little stuff like that that I try and put back into the business without getting into this drama diva mentality of I need more splits because I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Then you don't know what lie you told to the last agent and somebody leaves. It's just a mess. So. I hope that answered the question. No, it's great. And I've said for a long time, I think people don't mind paying a split as long as they're getting actionable advice. Like as long as you can call your broker on the phone and say, hey, I have a problem or hey, I need this right now in that time when you do. But um, yeah, otherwise it's just a race to the bottom, right? It's it's who can charge me the, the least. It is. And we've done it to ourselves for the fact of, think of it in this story sense. Back in the you know 70s and 80s, like you, your brokerage was at the at the beginning of your neighborhood, and that's where you worked. And they kind of driven all drove all the leads because people were walking in the door to live in that neighborhood. And then we got to the internet age where 
people had more access to information and then agents got a little more savvy and they started going, Hey, I want more splits. You know, it's kind of when Remax came around and they're, they're the original OG disruptors, right? And they came right. around and offered this right. these high splits, but they were for producers. So then we started doing this race to the, the least of commission. Well, then the agents started going, well, I need support. Like I need, I don't, I don't want to worry about the color copy. I need support. So agents started making teams to fill in that role because the company couldn't give them some more support because they weren't getting enough money because they're getting these super high splits, which was working for them. So the agents made teams for support. So now we're in this quandary of people want hundred percent or flat rate, but they're spending more money to replicate something that I can do with one person and support 30 people rather than a one-to-one -one ratio and the agent doesn't know how to train, doesn't know how to hire, doesn't know HR and all this other crap. So why not offer a fair split that is comparable to the support you're given, hopefully more so, and everybody makes money, but we handle the stuff. I tell people all the time, they want an assistant. For what? Like, what are they going to do for you? Right. Like, you don't even know what they're going right. to do for you. So that's my soapbox. But we've done it to ourselves as an industry. And the agent actually is, they think they're getting 100% and they're actually the one footing the bill most of all. So I like to come from more of a support layer and offer a fair split for a fair support. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I love your model. I, it, to me, it's really interesting. The lines are really blurry between a team and a brokerage in your model. I mean, it, it, it's basically a big team that's legally a brokerage, really, you know? Correct. Yep. But that allows you, and I want to get into some of the joint ventures in a, in a second. I want to understand a little bit about company provided. I mean, I'm assuming you provide everything from CRM to websites. Like they probably can do that if they want, but you're providing sure. all of that, right? Yeah, I am. And then what um, about leads? Like, are they generating mostly their own leads or leads coming from you? Is there a different split on that? Like how much can you share on, on that? Yeah. I mean, I'll share whatever you, you want. Um, so let's talk about what I provide. I try and provide everything I'm legally allowed to provide. I do believe they're 1099 employees. I also am liable for their uh, compliance with the law. So I might end up at the Supreme Court one day because I use the word mandatory meetings once a month. And you better get your ass there because I'm working hard to bring you something of value to train you with. So you can't tell me I'm liable for them and then tell me I can't make them show up. Like I don't understand that. But I don't care if they're in the office, not in the office. But yeah, I want to help them do much as much as possible. And I've had some agents come in and for instance, we use follow boss. I love the, and it's, I love the, the CRM and I think it's just a great all around user, which plays off of our website curator and it just works really well. But I've had some agents come in and use a different one like contactually, which I've used on the side as well. My staff doesn't know that as well. So these agents come in with questions and they're not going to know how to use it. Or we have a closing come in and we put the client in follow boss and they're using contextually. So sometimes we don't want to replicate that stuff. So I'm like, if I provide it, use it, don't use it. And then for the systems part, yeah, we try and cover most of that stuff. They're welcome to do their own lead generation. They're welcome to do their own websites. But I always warn them, like, you better do it well then. And I've had some do it very well. They've had their own Real Geek sites and some other ones, and they handle it. But they also get really busy, and they, they give up. And like, hey, can our ISA scrub these leads for me? Well, sure, but it's going to cost you. So yeah, we do provide as much as we, we physically possibly can. Uh, when it comes to lead generation, um, I've done them all, man. I, I jokingly, lovingly say I've got bipolar lead disorder where I'll flip-flop from one year to having an ISA do it, scrubbing, to them scrubbing, to back and forth, and just depending on how pissed off I get when I realize things aren't happening. But um, we decided to cut the cord from the big lead generation generators uh, about two, three years ago. So I was probably spending... 
$150,000, a year uh, between like Realtor and Zillow and Homes. And they were good. We're making money. But I realized that I was only capturing 6% on a good day of the leads they gave us. But I was paying for 100%. So that's just the game. And we're making money. But those 94% of leads that never came to anything, there was no byproduct. They just disappeared. So our mission and vision as a company has always been a community resource and to be advocates of our community because we believe people don't want to live where people don't want to live. So why don't we highlight it? So I took that money, cold turkey, and hired a videographer. We have a university in Columbia, South Carolina, which is our headquarters, and they have a mass journalism school. So I hired a videographer, um, hired an ISA, and a social media person. And we started doing content. Really simple, easy content. Restaurant spotlights, no negativity, going to independent mom and pop restaurants, showing them off. But what we were doing is using that through a lead platform like Curator, which I think is one of the best out there. I'm, I'm biased, but I think it's one of the best out there. And there's some others like Ylopo and some others that do the same. And we started doing content. So we started doing these lead funnels. And now the byproduct is we close as many leads as we paid Zillow to give us back in the day. And the byproduct is branding. So once a week on Thursdays, you're getting something of local content, whether it's a restaurant, a, a hotspot. And what's really paid dividends for us is area tours. People, we're in South Carolina mainly, and we're in the Southeast, like I said, everybody's coming here from Northwest, East, South. And I got one this morning, a guy called me from Boca Raton, Florida and said, hey, my wife saw you on YouTube and we're thinking about coming North a little bit and we wanna to move to one of your markets. That is not free, I mean, I had to pay the people to do it, but now I got the content. So yeah. my biggest thing is you've got people every seven to 11 years moving, depending on what you're looking at. How do I stay engaged with them on that timeline without annoying them about real estate? So the lead generation, we do bring it in-house. We do give it to them. There are different splits. Uh, I give them 40%. We keep 60 on those because we are not a number. It's like, go meet Sally at Starbucks. Hey, call this guy. He wants to see a house today. And then all you got to do right. is work really hard not to mess that up. Right. That's great. I love that. Is everybody opt into that? Like, how do you, I, I try not to get too far in the weeds, but now I'm curious. Like, yeah. do you like throw it up and people grab it? You're like, Hey, this is the best one for you. How does that happen? Yeah. So we round robin it based on who wants to do it. Now, again, with that split, I mean, our normal splits are like 70, 30, right? 70 to the agent, 30 to us. So the, the agents that are producing five, 10, 15, 25 million, they don't want leads anymore. They're like, ah, I'm good. So my goal is to bring agents in. They close nine deals their first year, which I usually say it's a three-month ramp up, one deal a month, and then 12 months a year, 12 deals a year after that. After your second year with us, they need to be 12 sphere deals. Like you kind of need to get off the teat a little bit. But if you want leads, we call them peanut butter and jelly. Like you can eat it every single day if you want to. It's not the best meal, but it'll definitely nourish your body. And Right. I want them to get off my leads because I want to bring in a new group of agents that come in and support the experienced agents because that's something we do too. As agents move up a platform with us, we give more, um, I guess, support because we felt like when yeah. we we're an old company, our company gave us what they gave us and then it was on us to figure it out. So why can't I help somebody do 10, 15, 50 deals and support them differently without giving them more splits? Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, you have different problems when you get to that level, right? There's different right. things. It's not contract questions. It's not, you know, other things. It's, it's it's a little more strategy. And having having somebody to actually talk that through with is incredibly valuable. One well, easy, easy way of doing this. I've got an agent doing 50 and another one doing 80 to 100 deals. I'll pay a new agent that I've trained to go to inspections for them. I'll give them 50 bucks. That's a drop in the bucket of what right. they're selling. 
But if they're doing 50 deals times three right. hours of inspections, I mean, that is valuable time that they're wasting. And they'll do, they would do it if I didn't right. tell them about it. So that's one of the plateaus we help them get over. And then we have agents work, new agents work as showing agents for our experienced agents. And we're very strict on how it works. But yeah, you can take time off and Sally Sue is going to be your showing agent for this client. And your client knows to talk to them. But you negotiate, you write it, you do all that. They literally open the door and they're professional. But you also get to retain the client. So now you can do more deals without having to go hire an assistant or a showing agent. I love that you formalized that as a company. I think a lot of people just kind of like say like, oh, call agent Y if you want some help. I love the right. way you guys are really teeing it up so that it's part of the deal and you're ensuring that it goes well instead of just saying like, hey, I have an idea. Call this kid and see if he'll show us, open some doors, you know? Well, and that's the problem. One, it lets our newer agents make some money to get going because we said how hard it is when you're a younger agent. But two, if you don't formalize it for the agents, both of them, it can go sideways where they go, well, I thought he was going to pay me this and I thought he was going to pay me that. And the next time they need help, nobody's going to answer the phone. Then the experienced agent, it's a mess. So I think sometimes you've got to step in and not play referee, but set the ground rules and then be a strong broker and, and help enforce it for the quality experience the client's going to get. Yeah, that that's great. I, I really love that. And I, I think just that congruence of your model, I don't know why, I guess because people are just running so hard or they are still in production or whatever, but just that congruence of model is, I don't, I don't want to say rare, but it, it's it's unfortunately not, not common with a lot of, especially boutique brokerages, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Tell me a little bit more about um, kind of your joint ventures and how you got into doing doing some more of that. I know insurance in particular you're in and uh, how, how did that come about? And, and just tell us what you can about that. Yeah. So about two years ago, once I got out of, well, I was already out of production and we decided to hire uh, at the time, like a COO broker in charge kind of person. I was like, well, my job is to keep expanding the business, not to take over the world, but we're more of like a door opens, let's walk through it. and Insurance kind of goes hand in hand. Mortgages are tough, right? And definitely title if you're not in a title state. So how can we make a little bit extra money? And so I went down this rabbit trail about two years ago and it, it appeared harder than it seemed. And so when COVID hit, I was like, my business partner and I were like, man, we got to have a different revenue stream. Unfortunately, like everybody, we had a really good year, but it's just really scary, right? We've been through the recession, now the pandemic and everything else. And so I don't want to do property management. I've been there, done that, done all the H, you know, the cops and all the crap that comes along with that. And plus it's a lot of liability for very little money. So, and actually nobody ever likes their property manager, like ever, the landlord, the tenant, and it's not the property manager's fault. They're just a really bad, they're in the middle. So I didn't want to do that. I thought they're the middle brand. Yeah. Um, so I was like, insurance, like we, we we do 500 transactions. Why can't I get our own insurance? So here's a little bit of what I found out. I interviewed with some companies. I was like, hell, I'll just work for them and then I'll run everything through it and I'll get paid a split. But there's actually, it's easier than you think. So I got licensed last summer, uh, which was not that hard. It was a class and I took the test, all that good stuff. And I can open up a, a, a insurance brokerage right away. Did that. Now, fortunately for me, I hire all of my staff, most of all my staff through a headhunter. I pay the fees. They're expensive, but they can find me people who meet the criteria. It's like people arguing about a FISBO can't sell their house. Like, how the hell do I hire somebody? I don't know how to hire. Like, everything looks good on a resume. Right. Yes, you can do it. So anyways, I got really You know, insurance, come producer. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I found somebody and we go through an aggregator. This is probably a little bit more in the weeds, but I want to show people it's not that hard. 
So it's really hard to get appointed with insurance companies. It's really hard. They, you have to do so much volume before the nice big guys, Liberty Mutual, uh, travelers and people like that will say, yeah, you can write for me. You have to have experience. Well, if you're starting out, you don't have it. So it's really weird. So we go through a middleman, kind of like a franchise, and we can write for travelers and all these people. They helped us get appointed. So now I can compete with the state farms and the, the captive brokers out there. But I did that knowing it's a long play. We're not terribly profitable. I mean, I pay the bills and that's what I'm looking for right now. But this is a snowball. We close it this year. We keep it next year. Keep it next year. So it, it's, if you do the math, it looks really, really good. But also, I've realized that that's where a lack of customer service can be in the process. So why not bring the same service from real estate to insurance, but also benefit where my insurance people talk to these people every three to six months and they go, oh, by the way, right. is there anything I need to mention to Michael about the house? Oh, yeah, we just right. had a baby. We're thinking about buying. And now I can loop it back around. I don't pay anybody illegally, but it's just the, the touch. So I think it's a good way to keep it yeah. in-house. And again, that's seven to 11 years, keep it going. And there's a new thing coming out. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not. I'm in the process of debating it, but a joint venture with a mortgage company. Um, I've tried to stay away from it for a very long time. Um, I felt like they were always icky, but I think some people have started to get their stuff together. And um, it's legal. It works. I'm in the middle of it. And the reason I'm even in the middle of it is I'm looking for the, I call it the spillage. Actually, I coined that from one of my lender friends. I've got good relationships with lenders. They do a really good job, but they don't get all of our business. And I don't let lenders pay us. I don't do marketing agreements. I never have. I don't ask them to pay for luncheons, nothing. And they get the business they get because they're good people. But the ones that don't want to use them, that want to use the national brands, like why can't I offer them a second quote and be competitive? So I'm moving to that holistic approach as an indie small brokerage that I don't want a thousand agents to compete. What if I just had 200 and, and made enough profit like a thousand agents so I can reinvest it into my staff, my agents and the process. So that's what we're looking right. for is to bring that experience where communication is never going to be a problem because we're all together. We're all working on the same project together. And also hopefully I get some bonus points for refinances when that wave ever comes back around and you know, all this, all the little stuff, but keeping it cyclical. So people make one call but they know they're taken care of when it comes to their housing needs. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny as much as I'm a big fan of uh, of joint ventures and MSAs and all that in, in general, depending on your model and, and obviously who you partner with, I'm a little embarrassed to say I never wholly thought about it from that marketing touch perspective of one person can call and see how they are yet serve multiple needs, whether it's Oh, you bought a new car. You need because you guys could do any sort of insurance, right? Or is it only homeowners yeah. insurance? No, no, it's everything but life and health right now because we don't really want to get into that. But right. yeah, it's commercial, residential, right. all of that. That's great. So it's just one one roof. Yeah, well, I mean, think about that too. And I'm not trying to sell people on the idea of doing insurance because it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's also not the hardest. Is think about all the policies you have. Think of all the friends that are entrepreneurs that you know. I mean, there's so much business out there to get. And then if you have your insurance person calling one month, now this might be a little much, your mortgage person calling the next month and the real estate calling every quarter, they're calling to check in, but they're getting touched every month. Right. Right. Come on. That's got, I mean, that'll help. I, I love that. I, I think it's smart. And I think more than ever, you know, people don't want to talk to a hundred people. They don't want to, who do I call for this? Like, oh, I'll just call the office, you know, like right. if you're the one number they call when they have an issue with something related to house insurance and or mortgage refi or whatever, then 
That's great. And then you scale that out. Let's talk a little more about that. Let's talk a little more about the different locations. Cause I think, didn't you start pretty early with multiple locations? Yes. Yeah. It, it's one of those things, the door opened and I, I walked through it and we did a slow growth model. So we opened an office about two hours away from us uh, four or five years ago. And the way we did it is we're sending so much business to that market. We were kind of, I got family from there. So is my partner. And we had the opportunity that an agent wanted to work for us. Um, they moved to our Columbia our office to learn for a while. And we're like, you should go back. I'll start a one-man shop. We'll send you all the referrals. Uh, I'm not an advocate of planting a flag and inviting people in because you're always going to be the outsider. And it's really hard because then you're really got to compete against head to head of what they're getting at their current brokerage. So right. we did that. And my agent got really busy. He got full of life, ki uh, not kids, but marriages and honeymoons. And he got busy. And I was like, oh, snap. And his name is Brad. I was like, Brad's busy. I got to find Brad a friend because we're losing business. And then so we've intentionally grown it. So we're up to like eight agents in that market doing 40 million this year. And I've now promoted one of our agents to a manager, which is going to, he's going to be the broker in charge, but it's going to give him a year or two to start recruiting, but not still competing because I'm still the broker. So we're not going against our core values of being a broker in charge, non-competing. And um, he can start recruiting and doing that stuff. So we're more of an organic approach, but our agent per, per production averages 24 deals a year where our Wow. Markets like four. So we want that small, intimate, and it's just a really cool experience. And I will say the other thing I learned is go for a WeWork ish space. It is so much, it's, it's just as expensive as a 4,500 square foot office per month, but it's taken care of. Even if nobody's there, it still feels like everybody's there. So that's my yeah. one learning curve is uh, we're in that now and it's awesome. I don't have to worry about the internet. I don't have to worry about locks and lights and toilets. Yeah. Like, I'm paying somebody to be on site to do that. And it's super cool. Right. And the agents love it. And it's a more flexible lease. If you are worried about opening somewhere, you don't have to sign a 10 year lease somewhere. You can scale up or down Correct. or whatever. So, yeah. And, and I mean, I've had a lot of friends that I was gonna say a lot of going back to expansion. I've had a lot of friends expand with sometimes they'll open up leads. Maybe if they're doing a uh, real geeks or SEO kind of thing and start working leads in a market they're not in yet and then find an agent just to be friends with. So that's what we did a lot. When Brad was busy, I would send leads to agents in other offices. Just like, here, right. have this. I don't want them to go to waste. And then eventually they're like, can I have these all the time? You're like, yeah, come on. Right, like my broker so, doesn't even send me leads. Who are you right. again? Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's a good way to start in there that's, with business. That's killer. I, I love that. I mean, it strikes me. I don't, I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do just from being in the industry. But it strikes me. It's so interesting how... Like you're just not a typical owner person. I, you're very system driven. You're very operationally driven. I think it's great. I think I think it's really awesome. I think I, I hope a lot of people listen to this and and understand that how important that role is. Whether you hire it, whether you know you set a goal to come out of production in a couple of years so you can do that. Um, I just think it's really it's really powerful stuff. I I, I think. Um, and being profitable. I think sometimes people do that thing and they're super systems oriented, but maybe they're not, they're over systems yeah. oriented and they're not being profitable because they're too like rigid in that. Well, you, it's taken a long, long time and a lot of therapy and a lot of coaching, but like, you know, my systems and processes are not for everybody. We don't typically do very well with licensed agents that we recruit because all of a sudden you've got a fence around these people that they're not used to, but you're like, no, 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 this is good for you. Like get, get a little systematic in your approach. Right. 
So you got to be really intentional if you do it this way. So there's there's pros and cons to it. The Wild West for some companies is great. Like you just step back and let them do, but it may not be the way that you want real estate. So again, why are you opening a company if you're going to, or start a team? Like you got to know why. Right. Yeah, totally. I I love that. Uh, Anything else that you want to share or anything else that I didn't ask you that I should have? I don't think so. I think the biggest thing when it comes to, if you're thinking about opening a company or, or office or a team, ask the people that know you best. Because sometimes we think we can do a lot more than we can. And I'm glad I didn't because I may not own a company now. But the point is, it's not for everybody. That is not necessarily the next step in real estate. Um, It's not the easiest. I'm relying on other people to sell houses every day for me to make an income. That's kind of scary. But it can be very profitable if done correctly. So I don't think it always has to be the new thing. I just think people don't put enough time and energy into why they want to start what they're starting. And I think that's it. I think if we just continue to do the right thing to the, for the right people at the right time, like business will take care of itself. And it's one of the best joys and the best jobs you can have, but it's also one of the most challenging. So I just encourage people to do it if it's the right thing for you, but also don't fit a square peg in a round hole. It's not, it's not going to go well. And it's very expensive for that point. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great advice. Thank you so much, Brad. It's always good to talk with you and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Lee. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy listening to Powering Real Estate, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Subscribes and reviews help other people find us and allow us to keep interviewing top industry experts. If you're looking for a customized solution for your follow-up boss account or wanting a free assessment of your account, visit AmplifiedSolutions.com. There you can also find free resources and link with us. 